Welcome to Sunday Sessions Volume 2, Black Herstory Moment, featuring Babs Wingo. Born in the early 1930s in the era of the Jim Crow South in Georgia to Gladys Chase and Clifford Wingo, Babs was the eldest of three daughters, herself, Ethel, and then Marva. All three sisters trained at their local YMCA in judo, gymnastics, strength training, and of course, wrestling. While training, Babs caught the eye of Billy Wolf, who was the former husband of Mildred Burke. He was a complex figure in wrestling, and Babs was the first to turn professional. Babs Wingo, the rugged powerhouse, faced racism, segregation, and sexism all at once in a time where professional wrestling was not open to not only black male wrestlers, but especially black female wrestlers. Her success made her one of the four highest earning women's wrestlers of the time. Even though she faced international fame, America's realities were much harsher. Despite racial disparities, Babs Wingo was a dynamo in the ring. In 1954, she and Ethel Johnson drew a record 9,000 fans in Kansas City and received top billing alongside Gorgeous George. We truly thank Babs Wingo for all of her contributions to professional wrestling and paving the way for Black women wrestlers everywhere. Hi everyone, my name is Ronnie Big Bang Nicole, the Joshi Queen Supreme, and you are watching Sunday Sessions Volume 2. Thank you so much for being here with me and my amazing guest. As you know, Sunday Sessions are real in-depth conversations surrounding wrestlers of color and our experiences because we all love this beautiful, brutal art of professional wrestling, but we don't all have the same experience within it. And so we are bringing you Sunday Sessions so that you can be informed, educated, and you can learn a little bit more about what it's like to be a professional wrestler. Big shout out to Michael Sorg and Sorgatron Media. Make sure you're following IndieUS.com as well, or excuse me, IndieWrestling.us, as well as my YouTube page, uh, Ronnie Nicole. I am here with the amazing, amazing Sway Archer, the culture king, as well as the African-American horror story, Eel O'Neill. And tonight, it's ironic that we're here with the culture king because we are talking about the culture culture for clout. You and I all know that there have been many times where Black culture has been appropriated and duplicated and attempted to be replicated, but the experience itself is definitely not. So today we're talking about wrestlers and our experience with wrestlers who may be using our culture for clout and how that affects us as wrestlers. I'm going to throw it to you, Eel, and then Sway, you can jump in. Sure. Yeah. Hi. Hi. First, thank you for having me, Ronnie. Uh, so uh, right on topic then. Yes. Yeah, so, Hit it. <laughs> so, when it, so when it comes to so when it comes to the culture, um, especially in professional wrestling, it's always really interesting to me to see what what stays black and what doesn't what concepts of blackness can be performed as character for black uh, professional wrestlers, and then what turns into caricature from white professional wrestlers. Um, because it seems like, it would seem like professional wrestlers as rappers or as athletes doesn't seem to be a foreign concept to individuals. But when it comes to them becoming champions, for some reason, that's too gimmicky, right? But if a professional wrestler 
is a white individual and is like say a, a rapper or a uh a uh, uh an athlete and a guy who's just oh hey like he models himself after a sports athlete uh that hey that's just that's just added bonus that's just a, a charisma but if you're a black guy or a black woman they they think that uh our character our characters should be uh, just black individuals and that that means hip-hop that means uh athlete top athlete like to that means you know uh gangster or thug or uh you get the kind of jive talking smiley dancing individual uh we can't mine those for championships for characters that can be broadened out on we turn into these tiny little this tiny little box but if a white individual does it and we've seen it happen over and over again i mean even as far back as not to you know not to sh- not not to you know uh, crap on any legends but like uh, people imitating james brown and being white and being able to become yep. champ um uh it, it's just it, it it's like performing blackness is and it can be a gimmick and then if you're black and you mine and we mine our culture no 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 you you're you're stuck there that's what you are uh yes. at least from my own perspective no for sure sway what about you because you're in canada so you have a little bit maybe a different experience i would think in terms of the indies are the same but maybe some of the relationship is a little different it's it's weird there is a there is a good bit of there's a good bit of difference because the common excuse i suppose you could say that you often hear from people down in the states is like well that's who they are you know if they're cosplaying black that's because that's who they are it's like their life revolves around cultural appropriation up here good luck good luck getting away with that because there's literally like one and a half markets in canada where you are even in close proximity to enough black people to try and pass that off um much less like consistent like I grew up at, like for, for a white person in Canada to be like, I grew up in a place where it was me and black people. And that was it. No odds are that didn't happen because the only place where that can really happen is like Toronto. Even then you can still find other white people around. It's not like, it's not like if you look at someone growing up in like Atlanta and like a very black part of Atlanta that, that we don't have as much of that up here. Right. So it's very hard for people to pass that off, which is why we don't have much of it. I can, off the top of my head, I can think of like two gimmicks where it's like a white guy is kind of cosplaying black. And even then, one of them, not really. Like one of them, his whole thing is that he, he just does, he break dances. But that's because that's something he actually does. Like right. I like it. He, he break dances, but it's not like it's not like he's a break dancer and then he's also like using AAVE or anything like that. It's not that crazy. The other one is a white guy cosplaying Takashi Six Nine, who is a Spanish guy cosplaying a black guy. So that's a whole other story. It's like that, I think it's identity inception. <laughs> it's the only one we have. That's the only gimmick I would say as like in terms of cultural appropriation is 
pretty fucking offensive. That's the only one. Can I swear on here? I'm sorry. I did yes. not know. Okay. <laughs> These are real um, raw conversations. So that's yes. the only gimmick I know up here that I would actually consider like offensive in terms of cultural appropriation because so many of them don't have anything to do with black culture. And that could be black culture doesn't have as much of a hold on anywhere in Canada outside of Toronto. It could mm-hmm. be because we literally just don't have as many people. So for you guys, you know, for every one cultural appropriation gimmick that we have, theoretically, if all things were equal, you guys would have 10 because you got 10 times the population we have. I may just not be hearing about these people because Canada has an exposure problem with wrestling, right? But for the most part up here, I don't see it as much. What I do see down in the States is what I alluded to earlier is that excuse of like, well, that's just how they are. That's just who they are. That's just how they grew up. And it's funny when that comes to not be the case and it gets exposed on a grand stage. I had quite a bit of fun with that. Um, (laughs) But there then comes the discussion of, okay, well, that may be how they grew up. That's cool. There's a lot of black people who grew up that way who don't have that gimmick. There's a lot of black people who grew up in the same scenarios as God, name any, like AJ Gray. They grew up in the same scenarios, but they don't act like AJ Gray. They grew up in the same scenarios as, you know, God, as like New Jack. They don't act like New Jack. Yeah. There's a lot of times where that excuse, and and that's just to say that people don't naturally act like that. Not even to mention the times where people are told, don't act like that. It can be detrimental to your career. Don't be like that because you don't want to be a stereotype, whatever. I had Virgil talk my ear off for like 30 minutes about, you know, it's hard to be a black wrestler. Don't let them take advantage of you. And one of the points he made during that is if it's not authentic, don't do it. And if it is authentic, think about how you're doing it. And that's sort of how I perceive anybody doing gimmicks that play off stereotypes, especially if those stereotypes are not ones commonly associated with your skin tone. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you agreeing with a lot of the things that Sway was saying. Um, what was your, your thought? Uh, Sorry. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've frequently seen, right, is, uh, and less blatantly now, I, I will say, uh, but improvement uh, improvement isn't complete absolution of the problem. Uh, you'll see someone with a gimmick who uh, imitates Black culture, something that is clearly uh, spawned off of Black culture. Uh, and it would maybe not be as offensive if the uh, original, if the peak of that gimmick didn't eventually turn into this white individual thinks that they're black as a joke. And it always does. Um, even as, you know, even taking it back to not as far, cause that's not really that long ago, but when Cena was rapping, like Dr. Thugonomics, uh, Cena, eventually it got to a point where people were like, Oh, Hey, like we'll crack jokes that John thinks that he's black. So we'll have him around black people. And then him, he'll be, he'll be pushing lines, skirting, kind of skirting boundaries and black people as for a sake, for the sake of humor will be, uh, will be pushing back against that, which means that when people come up with these gimmicks, they understand what they're doing. They understand what the root of it is. Um, Frequently, when people, uh, I think we all are understand the uh, wrestling individual who we're talking about when we talk about somebody 
uh, currently who is who has a gimmick that is uh, inauthentic uh, based on, oh, I grew up in that area. And then it has been clearly proven that she did not grow up in that area. We know who we are speaking about. So um, without so I was going to say which one, but with, no, we without, without I'm thinking of two, actually. Yes. So. <laughs> but both. But, but the thing that but the thing that so frequently happens is when this is exposed, it's like you you put yourself in wrestling in proximity to black people to make sure that when you get called out, you can say, hey, this person's my friend and they signed off on it. So it's yeah. So it's fine. Right. Or. I grew up around, even if I just say, hey, that's not authentic. And somebody will be like, this is just how I am. I grew up around black people. Even if I didn't say anything about black people, I didn't say anything about, I didn't say anything about blackness. I didn't say anything about proximity to blackness. You did. And you know that what you're doing is a caricature of blackness. So we all kind of, we are, we're all hip to it now. For me, at this point, in the less extreme cases, I find sometimes people coming out to hip hop to be inauthentic because it feels like, oh, hey, that's based off that, like that, that clearly is based off those mannerisms are based off a ba- basketball player who, if a black individual did that was, was doing those mannerisms, they wouldn't be getting over on it. If oh, a black no. individual was put in that situation, they wouldn't be getting pushed the way that this individual clearly is. Um, I uh, p- white guys doing the ice in my veins stuff, white guys doing the walkover stuff. That was what that's I thought. Me. Yeah, you know exactly where that's coming from. You know exactly where that's coming from. And I guarantee you, if uh, first off, I'm sure that a, a black wrestler has done it, just not had the platform to make that their thing. But also, right. they wouldn't be pushed. If you're not no. the son of somebody famous, you're not going to be pushed the way that that individual is. So it's very, very clear where these things are coming from and how they're being used as a furtherance for a white individual where they would be a detriment for a black individual. Yes, 100%. Sway, I saw you wanted to jump in. Two things. One, Scorpio Sky was doing the ice in my veins thing. And nobody, like, I remember seeing tweets that were like, what the hell is he doing? And it's like Black people explaining. It's like, look, it comes from this. You probably would have seen it done by, um, by like, basketball players and stuff like that, specifically uh, D'Angelo and, and people like that. But the other thing is, the concept of like this seems inauthentic it's what's nice is they can leave it a lot of people think about like dr thugonomics cena right cena dr thugonomics that's all well and good he revisits it at his leisure but do you remember what came after that like hardcore respect for the military Cena and it, everything else was just dropped right. and barely ever Absolutely. referenced until like 2019. Right. right. Yeah. He pops like, on that chain when it's convenient. Yeah. It's like the, the only uh, reminiscence of it is the entrance music. It's, it's nice that you get to leave it. And I brought that up when we were talking about uh, our, uh, our resident example of somebody doing it for clout. It's like, you know, damn well. And, and to be fair, I was surprisingly proven wrong on this. I constantly had the theory. I was like, when when that person gets to any place of influence, done. Act's going to drop, right? It'll be yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. Very polite. Very demure, as you expect. I was wrong about that. 
Because apparently a whole lot of shit happened when they did finally get to a place of influence and it got them, it got them booted out of a match. So like, I was wrong. However, they still have the ability to, at their leisure, drop that shit whenever. And once, it's like, you know, once you secure your spot, you can stop the shucking and jiving, right? Once you secure your spot, then you can go through a year where you slowly, slowly, slowly change your gimmick and leave that part of you behind only to be shown in highlight reels. However, a lot of black people start off without that and get handed it or they start off with it with the plans maybe we're on the same thing okay maybe i don't want to do this gimmick forever you know maybe i want to have i want to have kids and a family and i don't want to be on tv playing a gangster you know three nights a week and then it's like hey maybe i want to change my gimmick why why this is this is you right yeah but it's not this your life but it's (laughs) not you grow up in compton (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah right no. <laughs> aren't you an inglewood boy what what right. do you mean you want to change your gimmick like right. yeah i know it's... i'm from orlando like i don't and you can't you can't get rid of it <laughs> yeah i i i really dislike how it is almost like a ring jacket for our white counterparts they can walk with the music and i see it especially at the shindy shows when there's a white kid who wants to seem edgy he will put on something full of expletives and the N-word and come out to that for that easy, oh, this, you know, he's a heel. He's going to be a bad, you know, a badass. He's he's this, he's that. And then when he gets that championship push, you know, that's when the rock and the alternative comes out and he's wearing the trash bag pants and, you know, he's trying to appeal to a different audience. But like I get to be black 365. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't get the opportunity to represent myself authentically where someone else can, you know, interchangeably whenever they want to have that luxury. So Sway, I'll throw it back to you because you said there were a lot of differences in Canada. How has your experience stateside been when you encounter that? Like, have you had to encounter that being stateside? Um, so I'm very, very cursory introduction to actually being live and in person in the States. I write as of right now, I think I've been to two show three, three. And one of them was just a taping, right? So it's like, I was at Hammerstein. Um, I was in uh, Ridgefield Park, New Jersey the night before. Um, and then I was at Grapplers Anonymous uh, earlier that week. So it's like, I haven't seen a lot of it in person, but that's also because I find that the places I went are either very, you know, they're very up there like Hammerstein was, or they're very like, they're, they're not that type of place. You know, I wouldn't have expected that in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. I wouldn't have expected it at Grapplers Anonymous because Mikey seems to be decent with that stuff. As far as I know, him. I've, I've only known Mikey a, a few weeks. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that in those scenarios. However, I've been trying to be more active on wrestling Twitter for now, probably since 2019. Um, Like as, no, not 2020, as the pandemic hit was when I really actually started putting an effort on it. And I've seen 
so many instances of people where it's, I'm part of this. And it's like, okay, it doesn't feel authentic to me. Right. And then sometimes you try to hit me with like, well, what do you know? It's like, listen, if you want to try and like culturally test me, I'm one of the worst people to find me. Me and Trevor Eon might be some of the two worst people to test because we're going to know about other shit that is not seen as like stereotypically black. Like right. a lot of the stuff that I'm involved in is not stereotypically black. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, you don't do X or you don't do Y. It's like, yeah, because it's not who I am. Like black is like blackish traits and stuff like that. It's like, I've never, I've never been with that sort of stuff. And I don't think one should have to, right. but I've been around it enough to see stuff and go, that doesn't fit. That doesn't feel right. Mannerisms are off. There's a lack of confidence when you say certain things, whatever it may be. And I've seen a lot of that online. I see a lot of it online, especially in regards to places where there's not a lot of black people and I often have to break down the point. It's like, listen, let's, let's benefit of charity. Let's assume that this person is wholly authentic. Let's assume that this person is this, how they grew up. This is what they believe in. They feel lost doing anything else. You still have to understand the audience you're playing to. Exactly. Because what there's going to be is when you're in Kentucky, you're going to get people being like, not, aha, she's so unique, she's so quirky, whatever. They're going to go, aha, look at all this dumb shit she's doing. Right. Like all of those black people do. Isn't yep. it stupid? Yep. It's like... They like you. They like you. And that's all well and good because they know that you're not that. Or even, even if you are, they think that you're not that. They think it's a gimmick. And they're going to think that you are doing blackface without the shoe shine. And they're going to love that because that's the crude, stupid, moronic backwoods humor that they enjoy. And they'll take the piss out of that. And they see what you're doing as making the same jokes that they would in the carport with their buddies where they're doing it as a detriment to black people. They think that you're doing that too. They think that you're just playing a caricature. Right. They couldn't give a shit whether you live like that or not. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's not what they like in a person. And they're going to hope that because you look like them, that's not really how you are. They're going to hope that's a joke. They're going to hope that you're playing and, and you're in on it. So whether it's authentic or not, the net harm is negative. Yeah, because there's an automatic pass there in that circumstance, whereas a Black person is automatically stymied or, you know, looked at in a negative way, even if that is authentically who they are, and it's not a character. They can't show up as who they are because there are so many things layered upon being a Black entertainer, especially as a wrestler, and I've definitely found that as a wrestler in the South, how they want you to be, you know, the mindset of the South the South leads a lot of things, but the South is slow in a lot of things. And in terms of wrestling mindset, you know, that is one thing that is very slow to change because traditionally it was 
Black people are either dancing and cooning or they're big monster heels and they're evil characters and that's it. So you're one of the two, that's what you got. And it's very challenging because it's still a lot of places down here. Um, it's the good old boy network, you know, and there's still those very ingrained, you know, biases that play into storytelling, which I believe limits the stories that we can tell. You know, it really, it doesn't broaden the scope, especially as the world continues to evolve and change. It narrows it so that not everyone is seen or heard or represented. Eel, have you faced the same or have you experienced that, you know, weird? (laughs) One of the things that, one of the things that I've learned is that people will, based on perception, will destroy Black individuals based on gimmicks just solely for the fact that it doesn't represent how they view black people, even if it, even if it means success, even if it means success. I mean, like the most recent Keith Lee, right? Like, like they, like they wanted to, they wanted to trans, he he came in his authentic self succeeded. Obviously it was, it was monetarily viable. Uh, And then they said, well, that doesn't, that's not what I think that a person who's of his size should sound like, should operate, should move like, should be like, should operate like. And then they tried to strip everything of him that was authentic. They don't talk, be a Mr. Hughes uh, type, you know, like stand and steady, stand quiet and be scary. And that's what we'll use. Be slow and be dumb because that's how I view someone who's your size. Um, the only thing that I, and I tell this story all the time because it's one of the things that is this past year in the sheer amount of, um, the sheer amount of movement that I've had in my career. Um, somebody told me that they didn't like to see me on Twitter joking with my buddies. They said, they, I don't like seeing you, seeing you mess around. Cause why, what you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be this scary methodical guy. And why are you joking around? And I'm like, one, um, there are a ton of other white wrestlers who crack jokes. And then when it's time to get serious, uh, are 100% are 100% uh, dialed in the pocket. In fact, that's what athletes do. I don't think anybody ever mistook Kobe Bryant or uh, or LeBron James as jokers when it came time for them to when it came time to for them to to play. Right? Like you can have a sense of humor and come in and be like, "Well, it's time for me to get serious." And guess what? I'm 100% dialed in and I'm serious. And they told me that if I kept doing what I was doing, I was never going to get into any big rooms. They were wrong, and that's fine. But this person is a very successful professional wrestler now, right? And they have the ability to affect the way that people book now. So when you think about that, you have to think about they have that perception of the way that Black people are supposed to be in general, especially because I see them cracking jokes and joking all the time and then being a serious individual. So it's one way for some people and it's one way for another. And you'll get that all of the time as a black wrestler, because that's how they view it. The the way that just off rip we're supposed to be is completely 100% different in a representation of our culture when it comes, the versus when it comes to a white person. Yes, that double standard and having to abide by a different set of rules as a black wrestler can add a lot of complication. And for me personally, I was, I'm not very good at the politics. So that was very challenging, you know, to navigate. Sway, have you had to, you know, deal with that in your experience thus far? 
I've had to deal with a lack of understanding, but I'm surprised because like Eel gets it way worse than me. Um, I think that one of the greatest, I don't know how to say one of the greatest miscarriages of justice. I don't know. One of the greatest things that pains me about wrestling and how people perceive it is that there is a sort of benefit of charity that is given to white performers with quote unquote confusing gimmicks, right? That is not given to black people. And Eel is my primary example for that. Yeah. I've seen so many people where like, you know, they look at someone like, you know, like, I don't get it. It's like, what do you, what do you mean you don't get it? And they're like, I don't get it. I'm like, then learn about it. <laughs> do some work. You'll take the time to get anything else. You'll take the time to understand uh, you know, the deep lore behind the fiend, but you won't take the time to listen to like a 30 minute elevator pitch for, for someone like eel or like I've explained this ideal to eel before. And the concept of like starting off very introductory, getting people invested and then slowly developing nuance to my character. Mm-hmm. It's like you're almost afraid to do it because it's like you get to a certain point and then you're apparently not able to get new fans anymore because now you're too confusing. Bullshit. I've seen people learn and cultivate. And this is this might be a bad example because these are two of the best people in this field. I've seen people learn and understand the nuance of RJ City and Dan Housen. If anybody can understand their nuance, you can take the time to understand a character that is a quarter as complex as RJ or Danhausen. Yeah, but here's here's the difference. You can be one way one day and one way one way completely different another day if you like you said the 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 grace that they're willing that people are willing to give white performers because that's the that's oh they're trying something new that's the new gimmick that's something different yes. whatever. But when when it comes to black performers we are supposed to remain in stock. So even if it can, if, even if it comes even if we try something different, try something new, try something that's alternative, we'll get a lot of flack for it. If you looked at Seth Rollins um, a year ago versus now, yes. that is an entirely different presentation, an entirely different style of speech, of mannerism from a year ago to a year before yeah, that. Yeah, like Thunderdome and now. Yeah, same completely thing. different. And, and and for Danhausen, who like who is a genius and found something that people um people stumbled on, like found something that people loved, Danhausen stumbled on it after being four years, a kind of a miniature Finn Balor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like like went from oh evil demon face paint to oh gimmicky Danhausen face paint, and like great, fantastic, absolutely hilarious, so fun. Dalton Castle spent years spent a good amount of time on Chikara television as Ashley Remington, you know, the sea captain and then came and showed up as Dalton Castle like once and people were in love with it. And nobody was like, Oh, I don't get it. That's different from day to day. That feels so different. Right. They'll give you the grace. But if you want to get people invested in something and say, Oh, this character has, it has, uh, it has depth. It has limits and it has, and it has different, it has different perceptions, you know, from, from, from what you're used to seeing as a professional wrestling character. They're not 100% willing to give you the time if you look a little bit different or present a little bit differently than what they are entirely used to. 
Yes, 100%. Do you guys find that in your creation of your own characters or in your career as you're trying to evolve your gimmick, is that something that you're taking into consideration or is it just like you're going to get what you get? 100%. I've literally, I understand that it's like in terms of a broader audience, I'm still very, very entry level. People in Canada have not seen a quarter of my development, you know, not to mention people in the States. However, I have had that sort of thought where it's like, okay, cool. When do I ever do this? And will people ever get it? Because there's like, when I use certain adjectives to describe a character, I know how people think about it. Yeah. When, because I've had this idea for a while of a character that is obsessed with perfection. Not perfection of appearance, not perfection of just like saying like I'm perfect or doing all the little pen flips and stuff like that, but like an unhealthy obsession, like a Kubrick-esque like obsession with it, where yeah. if they mess up a move, that will mess with them. Yeah, next level. Like the only thing we've seen on a major stage in terms of like perfect gimmicks, Mister Perfect, right? Which is which was all just like ah, my movements are flawless and they're always flawless and I never mess up, and that's nice. But there's no conflict there. Then you had people who perfect in terms of appearance. There's tons of them. You know, people very vain people. Appearance has right. to be perfect. The original yeah. incarnation of Dash and Cody Rhodes comes to mind. Then you have like Ty Dillinger, where it's like the perfect ten. Okay, cool. What the hell does that even mean? What are you even doing with that? None of the stuff is like perfect 10 movements. Like it's not like you have like an Okada level drop kick where it's like, that's a 10, you know, nothing like that. But we've never seen the negative side of it. And right. my mind just kept going to, is it because people just don't get it? Is it because people just wouldn't understand the concept of somebody going for a move, doing it, it looks great, and they go, it's not quite right. Do it again. Like, that concept, would people understand that as anything more than just, like, the Powerbomb Symphony that Wardlow does? Yeah. Would they understand the difference in mindset where he's doing that to inflict punishment, whereas this person's doing that because, in their head, they haven't got it quite right, and that bothers them? Yeah. I don't know if people understand that nuance. But I definitely think that's something that has to also fall to the wrestler because yes. a lot of wrestlers have lost the, um, I'm going to say that, yeah, that word, the nuance of character and of when you're in a story or in a match and you're building that story, what are the things that you are doing to convey the message? What are the things that you are doing that sets it up to make it so that the audience can understand like what is your role in creating this because it is acting you know in a sense we are doing this opera in the ring and we have to be able to tell those stories and a lot of times people are chasing the clout or the wrestlemania point or that big match but they aren't chasing the story and being a craftsperson in terms of what can myself and this person I'm wrestling do to 
bring those emotional responses to get you invested in what we're doing to show you something you've seen before, but in a different way, because it's not like we're reinventing the wheel, you know, good and evil is the, it's the original story. We are just recreating that. Um, and I do feel like because we as black wrestlers are often, and black people are looked as at a monolith, all the things you guys are mentioning factors into that because we're not allowed we're literally not allowed to be what we are and who we are because in a way they don't view that as authentic, even though that is the truth, you know, that we walk in. Eel, your, your gimmick is very unique. How did you arrive at the African-American horror story and how did you craft it so that people understood what you were trying to convey? So, so it's a little bit, so it's a little bit harder than that because I'm not, because the character Eel isn't necessarily 100%. Um, uh, 100%. His motivation isn't necessarily to be understood. It's to inflict. So, so the, so when I'm working heel, the African-American uh, horror story gimmick is pretty simple. It is that the, my, my original idea was to only try to get booked against white champions. Um, and it was to essentially say that if you were, and I say this to people all the time, if you were to live blackness, the experience of blackness, uh, from your perspective, like if you if we switched one day and you were just living blackness, blackness would feel to you like existing in a horror movie and not in the part where the killer is going around slashing people, but where the killer, you know, the killer is out there. They've done something terrible and you know, the killer is out there, but you don't know where they are. You don't know when the killer is going to strike. That's exactly what blackness would feel like to you. It's exhausting because it feels like always having to monitor self monitor others and monitor your environment it's exhausting and i wanted to say this character who wanted to take the symbols of black traditionalism uh which was where the mask came from you know where where like where the ghanaian mask work came from and white traditionalism like black and white movies and old-timey speech and old music and stuff like that to take those those levels those levels of like kind of fear and representation and bring them into a new age and use them to represent Afro futurism. Now all that is a little bit too brainy for professional wrestling. So a lot of people think that it's me supposed to be, but it is. It's true. Uh, a lot of people think that it's supposed to be me, black, scary serial killer. And I understand that is very very easy to. Uh, to, to, to kind of get into, but I think that along with myself, um, a lot of people have come down to, and I think that I've, I'm, I'm pulling on this thread more is that eel in his own head, when he professionally wrestles, thinks that he's smarter than you, not, not thinks knows that he's smarter than you knows that his IQ and his understanding of not just professional wrestling, but the world is different. So he'll lie, he'll cheat, he'll uh, he'll manipulate, he'll abuse, he'll, he'll, he'll steal in an effort to inflict the pain that you're willing to inflict on him based uh, from the Black perspective. Uh, when I'm a babyface, it basically just means uh, torture the bad guys. Uh, <laughs> and schadenfreude usually can get, uh, get somebody over with a, with a crowd if they don't like to heal enough. I love how you said torture the bad guys. You guys know I am a heel all the time so you know what do you do so I mean, half the time so am i so yeah i'm getting i'm getting into you know what but but also like we 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 do have 
we have lost a good amount in this art form of individuals who are willing to take the long haul. Uh, and that like storytelling wise, there are a lot of individuals who are really scared of, of, of taking the long trip because if you take the long trip, there's less gifts, there's less t-shirt sales, there's less stickers. But when there are a lot of people who are really, really willing to switch when they find something. They find something goofy. Oh, I switched on a banana peel and it turned into some random move. Well, you got to incorporate it every single time. Oh, well, like I had this moniker and people like the moniker more than they like my name. So I'm just going to switch over my name to my moniker and add this aspect of it. And then that's the whole character. Well, you, you haven't when when people and what happens with those short-term gains is that when people get to a long-term point they realize that they've stalled and it's because people aren't here for light tubes and people aren't here for big slams and people aren't here for grody looking suplexes or grody looking uh submissions people are here for stories they're here for stories when they come to professional wrestling they are not here for moves in five-star matches and people have convinced themselves because there is because it's for lack of a better term it's a quick nut that you that you get yourself that the way that you succeed in this business is by giving it all to them every single time when really watch watch your favorite tv show and think about every single cliffhanger everything especially now that they're doling stuff out every single episode is a cliffhanger give them that. And I, that for me blows my mind because we waited what a year after, um, infinity war was a year and some change yeah. for Endgame. We waited a full year and some change for that. We've been waiting how many years for multiverse of madness for no way home. Like all of these stories that have built upon other stories, we will sit and wait and pay all the subscription fees and do whatever. But when you ask someone to wait to see something crafted, you're right, it is, no, I need to get in and get out. Yeah. But there's so much more given to other art forms and other you know, forms of entertainment. There are plenty of shows on Netflix that are slow burn. It, you know? it, also, it also does not help that the, that the, the, the uh, industry, that the industry standard um, uh, refuses to celebrate the concept of a long-term story. The industry, the industry standard, our, our, our primary, the primary, uh, the primary entrance, the primary in for professional wrestling frequently tells its audience, last week doesn't matter. Last week doesn't matter. Last week doesn't matter. A year ago doesn't matter. Last week doesn't matter. Who that, what that person's name was last week doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're this now. It doesn't matter. And the problem with that is when children watch television, that's fine. They're, they're, they, they, they have, you, you can tell them, oh, my name was Sally, now my name's Susie, and they will go, okay, I can take that ride with you. Adults, unfortunately, aren't willing to take that ride. And then when you see people being like, I do not care about this product, that's what they're, that's what they're talking about. You haven't given them a reason to invest. And if you don't give people reasons to invest, guess what? They don't, they don't want to see the match that Ali had with Ruby, I think was probably the match that people were the most excited for, um, for the GCW show. 
And the reason was because everybody knows that one alley cat has had a hard time when it comes to professional wrestling, uh, hasn't always gotten the break that she thinks that she should. They're invested in the character alley cat. And so when she told them, Oh, I get, I finally get my dream match with, uh, I was about to call her Ruby, Riot. God, I'm the worst. Uh, when, when I finally get my dream match with Ruby Soho, um, this is my dream match. And it's finally my opportunity. And she could be fucking 100% lying about, she could have never wanted to wrestle fucking Ruby in her goddamn life. And if she tells you, if you say, I had a really, really hard time for years, 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 and they've been watching and they say, yeah, you know what? You haven't gotten the breaks that you should. Yeah, 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 you're right. And then you say, hey, 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 this is my dream match right here. And guess what? It's in reach. They don't give a fuck it, even if you win. The second you step in the goddamn ring, guess what they want? They got, they, they want, they, you have given them at least what their story is. It's Rocky, right? Rocky didn't have to fucking beat Apollo Creed. He just had to get into the ring eventually and go, okay, I'm here to box. And then he wins. Yeah. Sway, I saw you wanted to jump in a couple of times. The long-term booking thing is a big pet peeve of mine. <laughs> because for some reason, I'm a, my coach, I, my coach Santino Morello, he was in the WWE. It's like some of the stuff, you get told it, and it's just depressing because they'll be like, ah, well, you know, sometimes they'll just switch stuff up on you. And you got to make the constant thing where you're told, you got to take chicken shit, and you got to make a chicken salad. And it's like, why? Like, is this some sick joke? Like, to put all this effort into a character and developing a character and then... You know, you make someone laugh one time and they're like, ah, you're a comedy guy now. I ah, see, I got you. you. You made me laugh. So now you're comedy. Like, why do we not just let people do stuff long term? Why do we? Now, I understand. I don't want this to come off as Canadian ragging on Americans, but goddamn, some motherfuckers are stupid. And I understand that some people are stupid. And I understand that you have to take these stupid people and you have to guide them very slowly and go, look, here's how things go. Yeah, a lot of that feeding, for sure. <laughs> I don't think they're that stupid that they need a replay of what happened last week four times throughout the show. It's no other program, no other program, in, in my opinion, in the history of television, other than the 24-hour news cycle, will coddle you that much for something you may have missed. You get your recap at the beginning of the episode, boom, we're into the episode. We're not referencing that old shit. You didn't watch it, go back and watch it. It's not hard, you can find it somewhere. Like, that's how it was. Even on weekly episodics, like, either they were non, um, they were non-consequential changes, where it's like, stuff like sitcoms are really good for this, but also, um, cartoons like adult cartoons the simpsons was very good for it uh archer is very good for it where some things will carry over episode to episode but not everything will but even in the shows where everything did carry over you got your recap now shut up and watch the episode you couldn't imagine coming back from a commercial break on you know mash or like Oh God, a soap opera, like the young and the restless. And you come back from the commercial break and it's like, here's what happened last week in case you missed it. We know we told you at the beginning of the episode, but here it is again. 
that on the on the large stage is atrocious in my opinion but we can't even get our shit together on the small stage right hey promotion in tennessee promotion in atlanta promotion in dc we want to do this story it'd be a lot easier to get it done if we can do this over the course of two months as opposed to over the course of six because that promotion only runs every other month, right? right? We'd like to span this across promotions. And they'll go, okay, I like what you're saying. No, you're not going to do it. We're just not going to. What's that? You, you, what, what do you want to play Booker? You want to book your own matches on my promotion? No, that my <laughs> ego does not allow for this. You are not allowed to do this. I'm going to put you against who I want to put you against. And it's like, what if nobody wants to see that match? What if nobody cares? What if the angle that we just did in Tennessee two weeks ago went dumb viral and the crowd popped like hell for it? Do you not want to recreate that in your own market? No, right. because it wasn't your idea. We've, we've, got, we've gotten stuck in the economy of the dream match um, where individuals, as opposed to following characters and stories, are following just people and saying, oh, I have person A and person B, and they both have a lot of Twitter followers and notoriety. And okay. now they're going to, yeah. As opposed to being like, well, person A and person B don't like each other. And eventually they're going to each have to vie for this single championship. So let's get them in different places together. So then when they do it, we go, oh, okay. This is the culmination of a story. Um, people just, you, they're just, af they're, they're afraid of it. And it's because it takes time to concentrate. Microwave matches are easy. That's easy. Yes. It's funny you said that because one of my trainers, <laughs> he literally told me, don't try to microwave the game because I was so frustrated with exactly what you're talking about, you know, wanting to tell a story and build a storyline and do that collaborative thing, especially here in the South. You know, we were the originators of the territories. So to me, working together, like you said, Sway, taking a story from place to place, that's a good idea. We build familiarity, we all make money. And I was just getting frustrated. And he was like, you can't microwave the game. You know, it's a long-term thing. Do it the right way. It's going to pay off down the line. But right now, you can't hurry the process. He's like, you wouldn't microwave a ribeye, would you? And I was like, no, it's an abusive state. Like, I'm not that disrespectful. Like, <laughs> I'm from Texas. I would never. So, <laughs> you know, I understand that concept, but I do feel like we've gotten almost TV dinner with our consumption of wrestling. You know, we want it easy and quick in and out it's not necessarily always good for you and sometimes you don't even remember what you ate you know <laughs> whereas those matches that people really remember often they are the older ones that built to or from something that had succession or at least they told such a rich story within them you can't forget that because you were so invested you know and we've got Meltzer let me start on him. And we've got other publications that rate matches and give us these things. But what do we have as Black wrestlers to, to really gauge? You know, that's, and where do we go in terms of protecting the culture in wrestling? So obviously we've moved from kayfabe. There's a lot of people who know things that happen. 
But as Black wrestlers, there's a different sort of protection that goes on with the art, you know, when it comes to our characters, when it comes to the culture, when it comes to how we're represented. How do we take that kayfabe and this protection of culture and merge them? That may be a big, big question. So biter size, how do you see us doing that in the future? And I'll start with you, Ely. So one thing has to be just the protection of the, the protection of each other. Um, one thing that's uh, never going to happen to me anymore, uh, ever again, is uh, in a professional wrestling setting, allowing someone to disrespect a black individual on the basis of race, right? If I feel that something is racially charged, racially heated, uh, it's getting dealt with that night. It's getting dealt with probably that second. From now on, that's just the way I operate. And if it, if it gets me cut from bookings, that's just the way it is because now uh, black wrestlers take more flack, especially black women take more flack than anybody else. Um, if I see one other individual um, uh, get called the name of a professional wrestler who doesn't look like them at all, uh, straight up, I, I was in a show at, at a show in New York and there's a gentleman, God, Am I, that kills me that I can't remember his name. Uh, big, a big thigh gentleman who uh, wrestles at the Monster Factory. I'll figure out his name and then I'll feel like an idiot. Um, uh, and he came out and he just happened, so happens to be bald. And he came out and he was wrestling, he was wrestling. And somebody said, uh, some, 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 you know, Apollo Crews. And like immediately I stood up and went, shut the fuck up. Like you're fucking uncreative ass. Like, it, like, it, like, the 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 first time it ever happened to me somebody called me leo rush and i just legitimately stopped in the middle of the match and went i'm six inches taller than that gentleman and then fucking hit a move and i was like just like like don't ever don't ever don't ever allow yourself to be disrespected in this space but when it comes to a greater level of um a greater level of blackness and and protecting black wrestlers and black kayfabe uh, we have to stop co-signing people who are willing to use our uh, our culture as a bait and switch. The individual that we were talking about before, that show that was supposed to be like the cookout or whatever the fuck it was, uh, it was supposed to be like a celebration of black wrestling. And then somebody was like, hey, also, uh, this person is going to show up. And it's like, for like, what, how, wh where? Where do we, and clearly you guys aren't, clearly you aren't black because anybody who has a, any, any semblance of black sense in their goddamn head isn't going to allow somebody like that at a show that is supposed to be a, a celebration of black wrestling and black culture. So we have to stop letting these individuals, no matter how great the booking is, and maybe it's not so much of stopping them, but it might just be, hey, I have some creative ideas for you. Um, I know that you guys don't have like a necessarily diverse background in when it comes to booking. Let me add my two cents because I can, because I'm willing to help for free. Look at me. I'm willing to help you guys out. Cause if one more person says something is for the culture and then it clearly is just a fish to get black people to do shit, I'm probably going to lose my black mind. Uh, <laughs> And we are coming, you know, into February where you yes. will see many yes, promotions. There's going to be a lot June. of them. Right. February and June. Hot months. You know, they, they like to tick off those intersectional boxes. But where does that leave us the rest of the year and the rest of the time when wrestlers are 
black that whole time sway what do you think that we can do to like Eel was saying protect and to you know bring the culture into a safe space in the future for sure people are never gonna like my answer on this i that's why it's real it's real and it's raw give it to us i'm not the person who goes like oh well what we should do is you know just support other black people it's like listen we need to diversify within our own community and we need to prioritize that diversification if you have an all-black show and god if you have an all-black show and everybody's coming out to the same three artists this is an issue just as an example i know it's a very specific thing that's like how the hell does that happen but, but no, it's more, it for sure it, yeah yeah it, it's more to say that it's like hey there's people in the black community who can give you diversity of gimmicks use them yes not even if it's on an all-black show in general use these people however like it it's not a good look to have an all-black show everybody is coming out to hip hop and everybody is throwing up gang signs and everybody has a gimmick that theoretically they could all be fucking friends. Like that's not great because that allows people to look at that show and go, okay, cool. They're all the same. So if we ever want to book a black person, it doesn't matter which one of these people we choose. Yeah. They're all the fucking same. Right. Try and avoid that. Like, I understand. I'm not saying go and be wholly inauthentic. However, maybe the thing that gets you the most bookings when you start out is not going to be the thing that carries you to success. Maybe you can diversify. Because I know a lot of people where they've got one of those types of gimmicks. It's like, I know you do other shit. Like, or like, I know you're a fucking nerd behind the scenes. Like what? (laughs) You you do have other stuff to draw from. Yeah. Like do that. Not to mention all the other, all the other stuff that is commonly touted. That's a given, right? Don't let appropriators get away with shit. Don't let the disrespect happen, especially on like egregious levels where like, Something is what you referenced is, is one that's common. I, when I was at fucking pro wrestling magic, Gil was in the ring and they're like, oh, Kofi Kingston. And I went, what the fuck? And I just turned around I'm like, what? <laughs> like, who? It's a black yeah. dude who has fucking like twists, dreads, and you're like, it's Kofi Kingston. Do you know no black people? Yeah, that, you no, live so 30, that's 30 so minutes. So you live 30 a, minutes from Manhattan. Yeah. How that's have you never a seen a black person? The industry leader has convinced them that black people are one interchangeable. Two, they're all we're all friends. And it's also uh, always Kofi. It's never yeah. our truth, which is the, so confusing to me. The, the thing that bugs me because our truth many, is very sexy for an old man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. How, how, <laughs> many, how many white guys? How many kind of how how many kind of like middle of the middle of the road body type white guys in t-shirts and shorts have we seen? throughout over and over again and you don't see those guys coming out and people yelling out oh yeah kevin owens it's because they know it messes with they, it's because they know kevin owens. yes it's because it's because they know it messes specifically with black artists they're, they're doing a thing that is bigoted 
that is bigoted. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is centered. It is centered in racism. Nobody can convince me otherwise. And if I, no. if you see at a show and somebody calls me by another name and you see me dressing them down for five minutes while I have somebody else in a fucking rest hole, you know why, you know why, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's honestly something that I dealt with and I'm sure you guys experienced from childhood because I was a chunky kid first thing I got called was Oprah or Whoopi Goldberg in fifth grade guys we know that as wonderful as those women are there's not I don't that's not the you know what I mean so I grew up with this sense of being called out of my name and being othered within my own race because like you said people view us as interchangeable oh you you happen to know now, I, I got this in Japan a lot, but I think that was just because I was only the third big black woman there at the time. But they were like, oh, do you know Kong? Yes. And I'm like, okay. So technically, yes, I do know of her, but I don't, you know what I mean? Like, we're not cousins. I don't have a relationship with her. We just happen to be two big black women in this business. No, we do not meet up at Denny's. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not... <laughs> we're not hanging out like that just because we're black and it is so frustrating because everyone assumes what I hate the most is when I'm taking a booking but they don't have an opponent for me but they specifically want an opponent of color so they go the roundabout way of asking me to do the legwork instead of them going and find one of the hundreds of other black wrestlers out there. We had the black black wrestlers list. It was like 500 or something. I'd be fucking damned. What? Sway. They go to, they go to you and they're like, Hey, Hey, we, we here at, you know, fuck not wrestling plus. (laughs) We, we don't know any blacks, you know, the blacks. Can you bring us one? What kind of bullshit is that? Yes. (laughs) Sword can tell you when I was helping book a certain promotion in PA, the promoter, that's what he wanted me to do was to find him women, but specifically around February, because I knew the blacks, he wanted me to find other women of color only for February though, because he had me for the rest of the year. And so he didn't want too many other black women. For oh the yeah, there's too many in the territory already. Yeah. Right. Um, additionally, I filled the plus size quota so he didn't want any other big women either. Great. But Fantastic. He me, right. Absolutely. But he Absolutely. wanted me to find, find the Blacks for February. They'll go under for the rest of the year if they do have to be here. You know all the Blacks. Bring them together. Thank you. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> like, even if, even if they came to you, they're like, listen, you're more in touch with this community than I am. Can you give me like a few names to reach out to, to reach so that I, you, can you suggest somebody to me? I would even, I would even kind of understand that. Cause like, yes. I get that all the time about fucking Canadians. Some, somebody's like, if you were putting together a Canadian car load, who would you send down? Right. right. I get that. It kind of makes sense. In the same vein, though, the reason that he was doing it was fucking stupid. And to oh, yeah, also, sure. like, get you to be like, hey, can, are you free on this date to work? Dude, like, <laughs> am, I, am, I, am, I taking, am I taking part of the gate for right. booking this? <laughs> oh, no. 
There was like, none of that. No, there was never any of that. Come on. He wanted me to help. I know. I, I know. It's just <laughs> depressing. Right. <laughs> Y'all know how some offices can be. Okay. They want you to help them book, wrestle three or four times, set up and take down the ring, work concessions, do the raffle, and then sell their merch and your merch. And then yeah. the house was light, brother. So <laughs> house was light, brother. God, I hate it. Yes. <laughs> but the, the wonderful thing, guys, I honestly feel so uplifted in wrestling, just hearing you guys talk, because this is how wrestling changes. The mindset of the wrestlers within the business actually pushing back on these things and making things happen so that in the future, we have a different landscape. The environment is not equal, equitable, because those are two different things. We're not looking for equality anymore. We're looking for equity in booking. Please don't book diversity hires. That's not what it's about. Realize and understand the value in telling stories and representation in your business and how Black wrestlers can contribute to that. We, as the wrestlers of you know, this generation, have a big job in front of us, but I am very heartened to see how these things are changing and that there is hope for the business to be reinvented for the better. We have had such a rich discussion and we're unfortunately out of time. Sunday Sessions is always going to give you the most real, raw, and in-depth conversations about professional wrestling and about the issues that surround us. I want to thank the Culture King, Sway Archer, and the African-American Horror Story, Eel O'Neill, for being with me. I'm going to let them plug um, their social media, where you can find them and where you can book them. I will start with Eel, and then Sway will take us out. Yeah, howdy. Uh, book Neil at gmail.com. That's easy to reach me. I'm taking bookings. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to Dallas yet, but if you decide you want me there, hey, uh, we can work something out. Uh, also, on everything, I'm Eel O'Neill, A-A-H-S, African-American Horror Story, Eel O'Neill, Eel, E-E-L, O'Neill, like Shaquille, not like Titus, O-N-E-A-L, Eel O'Neill, A-A-H-S. Also, check out Flying V. Uh, we do art. We do um, we do art, we do theater, we do, uh, we do walk, walk in spaces, uh, we do fights and we do professional wrestling at locker room V. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's all. My, my. <laughs> Thank you, Ely and Sway. Take it away. So for those of you who are being newly acquainted to me through this and not through Twitter like most other people. My name is Sway Archer. You can find me on everything virtually at Sway Archer. I can mostly be found if you're in America on IWTV at C4 Wrestling in Ottawa. That is where I'm going to be getting most of my looks for the foreseeable future. We have to see when the world opens back up, what is feasible for me. Um, also, hopefully more at Grapplers Anonymous. That's the other place that I hope I'm being soon. And then in June, on the 17th and 18th, if you find yourself in the Ridgefield Park, New Jersey area, I will be in attendance at Pro Wrestling Vibe. So hopefully if you're around that area, you can come through for that. Once again, like you, I don't know if we're going to be in Dallas, but I know that there is an intention of me potentially booking a flight. I don't know yet. It all depends on who wants me there. So if you want me there, 
I am not above asking you to campaign to your local promotion to be like, hey, look at this pretty tall person. Bring him down. He has family in Houston. You don't even have to pay for accommodations. He'll make the drive. It's fine. So on everything, at Sway Archer, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> thank you guys so much for being here. It is always an honor and a pleasure to talk with other wrestlers who are out here making it happen and grinding in these wrestling streets. I have been and always will be the Joshi Queen Supreme, Ronnie Big Bang Nicole. Make sure you're following my YouTube channel, Ronnie Nicole. Um, I am the Joshi Queen on Instagram. You can find me at Glitterlicious on Twitter. And for booking, you can email me at RonnieNicoleR at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Sunday Sessions. These conversations are not only vital, but they will change the wrestling world. And I'm so glad to share them with you. Thank you again to amazing, my amazing guests. And big thank you to Sorgatron Media for always putting up with my craziness and my lack of scheduling. I love you so much. Thank you guys for being with us for Sunday Sessions Volume 2. We'll catch you next time. Peace, love, and wrestling.